The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Sorry for all the technical difficulties this morning. That was kind of wild. I don't know about you guys, but when the white fuzz came up, I kind of had a poltergeist moment. If just if one of your kids, a blonde, walked in, I, I might have ran out the door. I don't know. But we're thankful that no weapon formed against us will prosper this morning. Amen? It seems like every time I come up here, I have to respond to something that Matt has said about me previously from the stage. And uh, this morning's no different. I want to respond to something he said during the ordination a few weeks ago. He said that uh, he thought the first time he met me that I was too holy, that uh, he was certain I wouldn't come back after meeting him. I want to talk to you just a little bit about that first meeting because I find it funny that he says that. We met at Bure's. And uh, we were having lunch, and within the first couple of minutes of him talking to me, he asked, hey, hey man, what do, you, what do you do for a living? And as straight-faced as I could, I looked him in the eye, and I said, I'm a drug dealer. <laughs> and without missing a beat, he just says, well, I heard the hours are good. So, but uh, shortly after that, I was walking through the hall, and I was looking to have kind of a serious conversation with him. I locked eyes with him, and I kind of gave him the here-comes-a-serious-conversation look. And he instantly broke out, and I don't know if it was he was trying to pull off Michael Jackson Thriller or maybe something from Beat It, but he just locks eyes with me and starts coming at me. And, man, I had to look away. It was awkward. It was weird. I wanted to duck in the next room. But uh, I want to throw my family under the bus just a little bit as well this morning. We're in my house what I like to call deceptively cleanly people. And... What I mean by that is the most cleaning that gets done in our house is about 30 minutes before someone arrives. Maybe you guys can relate to that, but I was going through this the other day, and uh, man, I'm going through the house. Like, I'm kind of prideful about how much I can get cleaned in 30 minutes. It's pretty remarkable. If Molly Maid came over to the house and checked out my operation, she'd quit and go to the oil fields. But uh, I'm walking through, I'm getting stuff done, and I check underneath the microwave cart. We have a microwave cart, and... Um, there's about a gap about yay big under it. And I look under it, and, man, I, there's just a lot of dust under there. And I'm computing in my head, should I save precious minutes and skip that, or should I go ahead and clean it? I'm thinking, man, somebody's kid might get lost under there, all that dust. There's a lot under there. So I wheel the cart away. I reach down there to pick up some of the dust, and there's this huge shard of glass that's just setting under there. And I start thinking to myself, man, when's the last time I broke something? because I'm the breaker in the house, and it always happens to be the favorite dish. But uh, I look at it, I pick it up, and I'm in- impressed by the massive size of this thing. I mean, this is a, quite the weapon. If a robber broke in at that moment and had a gun and I had this, he'd call the cops on me. I mean, this thing is impressive and ruthless looking. But um, So I'm thinking, man, when's the last time I broke something? And not only that, but how did it get underneath my microwave cart? Because if you know the layout of our kitchen, breaking something by the fridge, it would have to take the craziest ping-pong route to get underneath the microwave cart, like it's crazier than the JFK bullet to get under there. And I was thinking about my message today and how this relates so much to the gospel because we learned a couple of weeks ago that Saul of Tarsus, Paul, he brought the hammer down on the church and his idea was to completely squash the church to make it no more But instead of squashing the church, what he did, like breaking a piece of glass, he splintered the gospel, and it just went to the far reaches of, well, the kitchen in this analogy, but the far reaches 
of the known world at that time. And it's a beautiful thing. And as we get in Acts chapter 8 today and watch the progression of the gospel as it goes out even more, you're going to notice something very quickly, and it's this. That like the grand master conductor he is, man, God is orchestrating this entire thing. And the gospel is going exactly where he calls it to go. So we're going to pick up in Acts 8, verse 26, and we're going to be looking at Philip again. We, we heard from Philip last week, but it talks about him again here. It says, verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, like I said, one of the first things we see here is that God is in complete control of where the gospel is going. The first thing we read is that an angel of the Lord just shows up and tells Philip, I want you to go to this obscure desert road going from Gaza to Jerusalem. Now, that, Luke just casually mentions that, but think about it. An angel of God just shows up to direct this man where to go to give the gospel. Now, angels are bad dudes, in case you didn't know. Um, in 2 Kings 19, one angel in one night slaughters 185,000 Assyrian warriors. The Assyrians at that time bragged that one of their warriors could take on 2,000 Israelites. These are bad dudes, but one angel one night slaughters 185,000 of them. One just shows up all of a sudden simply to tell Philip to go meet this one man. And within that brief thing, that brief passage that we read, we see the heart of God for one man, that he would send one of his commanding angels there just to say, go get him, go talk to this one man. Now, Ethiopia is not the Ethiopia we think of today. This would have been south of Egypt, um, a land called Cush. It was also called Nubia. It was considered in antiquity for the Jews at this time to be the ends of the earth, which is interesting to us today because if you remember from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, when he, when he talks to the disciples, he says, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, we've seen it. In Judea, we've seen it. Samaria, we saw it last week with Philip, and to the ends of the earth. And just within the first few chapters of what God's doing in Acts, you see the gospel already going out to what they considered the known ends of the earth. And here today, we see it going, like I said, to this random guy, this eunuch. Now, the thing about him being a eunuch, you have to understand that he's trying to involve himself in Jewish worship. Now, this isn't something that he can do. First of all, the closest anybody that's a non-Israelite can do is become what's called a Jewish proselyte. But he has even a further disadvantage. He's emasculated. He's a eunuch. So therefore, according to Deuteronomy 23, he can't even join fully into a Jewish proselyte worship. But yet he's there anyway. He's interested in the one true God, and he's seeking to worship him. And God meets this one man where he's at, on his way home, calls Philip from Jerusalem to go specifically for him. The Bible tells us throughout it many times, the, the Lord's eyes go to and fro across the earth, looking for those whose hearts are right towards him. And we see this very clearly in this picture here. And I want to say this to us, 
We see the angel first tell him to go. Well, secondly, we see the Holy Spirit speak to him and say, okay, now go to this chariot. Go to this man specifically. And I want to say to us that the leading of the Holy Spirit is extremely important in the role of sharing the gospel. Many times, he's going to lead you to those people whose hearts are ripe, who's ready for salvation. I can't tell you how many times in my own family that the Lord would burden our hearts with someone, someone that we would maybe fight with them about and say, there's, there's no way this person is ready for the gospel. There's no way their hearts are there. They're antagonistic towards it. But yet, that burning desire is there, so we would go. And the things that the Lord would do through that would be amazing. So it's absolutely important when you have those inclinations, those feelings, man, I just, for whatever reason, I feel like the Lord's calling me to speak to this person, that we follow those inclinations, and we go. All right, let's look at verse 30. It says, So Philip ran to him, the Ethiopian, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? He happens to come up to this guy, and he's already got the Bible cracked open, so to speak, which which is a big thing, really. It was hard to get a copy of anything back then because it was so expensive, but this Ethiopian had it. But within that, you hear the question, or you hear the response of the Ethiopian, well, how can I unless somebody tells me what it means? In order for us to share the gospel with people, we have got to have a foundational understanding of the gospel. And that's my challenge to you this morning. Are you able to break this down and tell people about it? Are you able to tell them what salvation is? I'm not asking you if you're able to uh, describe whether or not it's a literal or non-literal seven-day creation or um, the tribulation or what the timing of Christ's return, but the foundational things of this word you have the ability to break those down and talk to people about them. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter verse 3, verse 15. Sorry, chapter 3, verse 15. He says, Always, not sometimes, but always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that lies within you. But, and this is huge, but do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. But always do it with gentleness and respect and always have a reason to give them for the hope that lies within you. And that's a call to us today to not only understand this book, but to understand the disposition or the demeanor that we're supposed to have when we give the gospel out. I mean, if you you were a non-Christian, non in the Bible belt, and you're only interaction with a Christian was maybe on social media or maybe watching the news, I mean, you might come away from it thinking Christianity is a little bit more like it was in the first century when John and James were sent out by Jesus. He sends them out, and they come back, and they're like, Jesus, this town, they didn't accept what we said. Shall we call fire down upon them? And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. The way in which we're supposed to go out into the world and give the gospel to people, it's not antagonistic. 
It's not us trying to beat them in every conversation and point out their shortcomings. It's us coming with gentleness and respect and showing them that God, is, that God loves them. Um, listen to the way um, Paul puts it. That was Peter. Listen to Paul in Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6. He says the same thing. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always, and there it is again, not sometimes, always, even on Facebook. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. Again, there it is. Always be able to give an answer. Always be gracious about it and let it be seasoned with salt. What's grace? That's, that's a favor that they don't deserve. Nothing that they've worked for that we give it to them simply because God has called us to. Seasoned with salt, what's that? Seasoned with salt is simply we bring the flavor to the conversation. What, however that conversation goes, we should have a peace and a grace, a gentleness and a love about us. The other thing about salt is it keeps things from decaying, from corruption. And that's exactly the same thing our words should do. That's not to say that we tell people how they can and they can't talk around us. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is the way we bring that conversation in, our attitudes and our hearts in it. And let me, uh, let me say this. A lot of people ask, you know, what's your method when you go out into the world and you're telling people about Jesus? What method do you use? And, and I always tell them the same thing. I, I don't have a method. I mean, there's so many. Take them down the Roman road, the way of the master, all these different things. And I always say, man, I, I don't have a method. If I was to give you a method, it would be just what we just saw with Philip here. What happened? The Holy Spirit put upon his heart to go speak to someone, and he did. And number two... He opened a door for him. The, the guy was already reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he was able to segue right in. So many times in, when I was a, a young Christian, zealous for the faith, man, I wanted everybody to know about the Lord. So I didn't care if the door was open or not, man. I kicked it open. Come to Jesus. I can't tell you how many times those doors got slammed and deadbolted. And just now, 12, 12 years later or so, the door's finally beginning to crack open again because I've spent time with them, because they understand the heart of the Lord now and not just that they're ignorant sinners or however I used to say it back then. But I want to tell you something for the church here. And the reason we do, one of the things that we do here, the way we teach, we view church, the reason we don't give a bunch of evangelistic messages, a bunch of messages about coming to Jesus is because of this. We believe that the church that the God has given gifts to certain people to be pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That's Ephesians 4. That we come here, we learn how to break this down, and we go out into the world and we carry that message with us. And we have so many opportunities to do that within this community that God's planted us in. Um, Tessa Savadsky, she's, I think she's the president of the HOA here. Um, I was talking to her last week, and she was just telling me about opportunities that we get to go out from here and do just that. Um, she was telling me on May 1st, no, I'm sorry, June 1st, they're opening up the two different pools out here. They're going to have bounce houses, serve food. What an awesome opportunity for, go, for us to go out and be the hands and feet of Christ. My goal, my desire for us is every single time there's an event going on outside these four walls, that people walk up and say, there they are again, man, those stinking MC shirts. Ask me about the creek. <laughs> But we're everywhere in that they see the love that we have. Um, another one she talked about were the military wives whose husbands are overseas. They can't mow their yards, can't weed eat, so they're getting fined by the HOA. 
What an awesome opportunity to be like Jesus where he showed the disciples how they should serve. He took on the lowest role and washed their feet. We can be that to the people out there. So often Christians will lift a voice to condemn, but we won't lift a finger to help. I pray that's never this church. I pray we have the heart of Christ to go out and serve people. But one that's kind of near and dear to my heart is uh, youth. Once a month, every third Wednesday, man, I'm going to try to take them out of this building. There's a volleyball court down the road. And we've already talked to the HOA, we've talked to the city that we're going to go out there and we're going to serve hot dogs and we're just going to play. And we're going to let them see the love of Christ between us. Because Jesus said that was the greatest defense of the faith in John 13, 35. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But let's move on and finish up these verses real quick. Starting again at verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And you have to understand, remember, he couldn't even be a Jewish proselyte. So the ceremonial washings and the baptisms of ancient Israel were only something he could be a spectator for. He could not involve himself. So now he's asking the question, does something prevent me? And Philip's response to that, actually, it may not be recorded in your Bible. It's verse 37. You, may have a, you might not have a verse 37 in your Bible unless you, maybe you have a King James or a New King James. For me, it's written at the very bottom of the Bible, so it's always important to check that stuff. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 37 because there's certainly nothing unbiblical about it. But this is Philip's response to the question, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Imagine the change from, wow, I'm only a spectator to this one true God and my heart is for him, but I can't participate in anything, to you've been brought near to the throne of God now. You've been made a son of God and you can fully participate because there's no difference between Greek or Gentile, male or female, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So he goes away filled with the Spirit, rejoicing. But one of my favorite parts is that is Philip baptizes this guy, brings him out of the water, and all of a sudden, he's not there anymore. Listen to what it says in verse 40. It says, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip finds himself 20 miles down the road in a different city called Azotus. Now, I had a Bruce Almighty moment when I read that. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it's where he gets this guy, Bruce. He gets the power of God. He does all this silly stuff, ungodly stuff with the power of God. I, like, had that thought when I read this. Like, man, if I was the Holy Spirit, I'd have had to play a trick on Philip here. I'd have, like, made him arrive at 3 a.m. in the morning under a broken aqueduct with, like, broken (laughs) bottles of mead and a chalice of strong drink, half empty or something. He'd be like, what happened to the last 20 miles? What did that Ethiopian slip me? Where's my satchel? I know I had some gold shekels in here. I've been muggethed. But that's, that's my weird sense of humor. But notice the end of the verse. It says, after Azotus, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, 20 years later, in Acts 21, verse 8, we find that Philip is still at Caesarea. And uh, Luke, who's writing it, says that him and Paul went and visited and he calls him Philip the Evangelist. 
So he was renowned at this point for being an evangelist. But the interesting thing was, God took him from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and that's where he remained. And the reason I say that's interesting is I think a lot of us in here, we have this feeling that God is going to do something with our life, that he's called us to something big, that there's this ministry that's in the future that we're walking towards. Some of us may be in Bible college, I don't know, and we're looking forward to that. My my advice to you, my encouragement to you, is don't be so involved in a future ministry that you miss what God wants to do in the present. Be available even now as you're going from point A to point Z, wherever it is that God's calling you. And we even heard about you know going through architectural plans right now for a future home. Well, if that's the final stop for this church where God's called us, wherever that land is, that beautiful, sweet land we can't wait for, Let's be faithful between now and then with what we've got here. Let's continue to press forward with all that God has for us while we're here and not get lost in the shuffle. But we, maybe your gifting is an evangelist. I mean, if it is, we have the greatest message that's ever been given to man. The greatest message that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that we might be reconciled to God by the death of his own son. And when you hit the crescendo of of Romans 8 where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that our sins have passed as far as the east is from the west, that they'll no longer again come into, we'll never come into condemnation for them. What a beautiful message that a broken world needs to hear. What a beautiful message. Unfortunately, Matt Matt mentioned this a few weeks ago, and I'm going to re-mention it. Unfortunately, what most of, the people outside of these four walls think is they, they know us, I should say it this way, they know us more for what we're against and not what we're for. And like I said, if you were to just listen to social media or watch the news, would you hear the heart of the gospel? That's a challenge to us this morning. Would we hear the heart of the gospel or else would we hear our particular likes and dislikes over certain things? We've got to stop condemning the world, man. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. There are people of the world, they're going to act like that. We've got to be more like Christ. What did Christ do? He went to them. He was called a friend of sinners. I'm not saying that that means we get involved in their sin. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted in all points, yet without sin. So if, if your struggle has been alcohol or your struggle has been drug addiction or whatever, you know, I challenge you not to go out there and minister to those types of people. That just wouldn't be wise. But what I am saying is that we're called to go out there and be servants to this land, to this world, to those people out there, not con- to condemn them. You know, conviction, is, it's not even our job. John 16 tells us it's the job of the Holy Spirit, that he came to judge, or that he came to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and the need for Jesus. That's his role. That's not our role. I'm going to give you one more verse. We heard from Peter about it. We heard from Paul about it. Let's hear from Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, verse 23 through 25, he says this. He says, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Ooh, that's a, that's a Facebook word. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone. Be able to teach. Boy, there it is again. You know the foundational truths. And be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Gently instruct them. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. In other words, 
You want to know what's greater than your knowledge of the Bible? You're being able to spout out any verse to somebody. What's greater than your knowledge is your love for people. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about that. He says, you know what? Knowledge is good, but knowledge not balanced with love is puffed up. It's prideful. In 1 Corinthians 13, the ones that's read at most of our weddings, it was read at mine. Paul says, if I give my body to the flames, if I become a martyr for the faith, but I'd had not love, it profits me nothing. The greatest evidence of the reality of Christ and of our devotion to him is the unrelenting love of the church. How do I know that? Because Jesus said that was the greatest evidence in John 13, 35. I briefly mentioned it before, but he says, by this, they will know that you are my disciple, by your love one for another. Guys, how are they going to see that love if we contain it within these four walls? The title of the message today is Get Out of the Box. We've got to carry that love into the culture. They've got to see it. That's part of why we're doing what we're doing on Youth Wednesdays every third Wednesday. Join us in that. Come check that out. Be a part of it. But we've gotten everything so backwards in our culture. We've called the culture to be the evangelist. We've called them and we said, hey, you know what? Come to church. And uh, let me paraphrase that. In other words, leave everything you know, come to a place of people that you don't understand, to a gospel that the Bible says that you think is foolishness, to a people who are awkward, and join us. You know, that's the antithesis to what Christ has called us to do. He's called us to go out and make you disciples, to go and join into their groups, to go and let them see the love of Christ within us. I'm not saying don't invite people to church. Don't take it that way. Bring them. But uh, we've, we've called the culture to be the evangelist. We've gotten things backwards, and we need to return to them. Listen, it's, I can promise you one thing. As, it, as we draw closer and closer to the last days, it's going to get darker and darker out there. And if our frustration is going to be political, or if our frustration is going to be anything else other than burden for the heart of men, then the church is going to lose its voice. I guarantee it. It says in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't, our fight's not against them. It's not against people. It's against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness and hype and dark places. And like I said, it's going to get darker out there. But my hope is that as the church moves outside and moves into the world, that maybe the people that we encounter that are in that darkness They'll be able to echo the same words that Matthew did in Matthew chapter 4. He's quoting from Isaiah, but let me read it. It says, In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. And let, let me bring it up to our modern day context. Outside of these four walls in Marine Creek community, into Saginaw and Fort Worth and Dallas, where so many unbelievers don't know the gospel. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in a land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. What light was that then? He was talking about Christ coming into the world. What's that light now? We are the light of the world. The Bible said don't contain, contain that in a box. He said let it out so that men might see your good deeds and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Guys, we're the light of the world. If we don't get it out, no one will. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the love that you pour so abundantly upon us. Thank you for the giftings that you give us, whether they be that of evangelism and sharing our faith, or Lord, that of teaching the word, or 
Father, just a word of encouragement for people. Lord, we do know that the world's getting darker out there, and I pray that our voice isn't raised against, against the culture, but against the spiritual forces behind the culture. I pray, Father, that we be a light to, the, to all those out there, that they truly see the love of God flowing within our hearts, not just for one another, but the love and the concern that we had for them. Father, it's a tough thing to say to leave the church, to go out there to minister to them, but Father, I... I believe that Jesus was the, that you were the greatest example of that, that you left heaven to come to a God-forsaken world of people who hated you. Lord, we can follow your model and go from the church and go out and engage the world. Father, I pray that you equip each and every one of these guys. I pray that their hearts would be open to learn more and more about the foundational truths of the Bible. And Lord, that when you give them that inclination by your spirit to go and speak, that they would go. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you that you've given this great charge, this, this great job to us humans to go out and tell the world of your greatness. May you be lifted high through all of our speech. And Father, may we learn to truly major in the majors and not the minors, not get caught up in all the discussion that's happening around us, but point people to you. We love you tonight, this morning, Father, and we pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.